Samuel 17, and we refer to a few things down the line, but we're going to start with um, verses 1 through 11. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkot and Azkah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, about ten foot. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels, shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. The spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, that's several kilograms bit, uh, heavy, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then I will be, we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now we read after Joshua led God's people into the promised land that they did not dispossess the land entirely. And particularly in the place of Hebron, there were the sons of Anak who were very tall and uh, they didn't drive them out. One of the first lessons today is that you've got to be very decisive against driving out the stuff that is not positive in your life. And you, you, you can't do a bargain and say, listen, I won't bother you if you don't bother me. Because it always comes back to bother you. And um, so these sons of Anak and the descendants of Anak, they were there, also called the Nephilim. And in Numbers 13, verse 33, Numbers 13, verse 33, this is the report of the original survey of the land when they went out to see what it was like before they took possession of it. And this was the negative report coming from the majority of people who visited it. Then we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them very, very important. Now, we know that this stuff could be defeated. Caleb drove out three of them. And yet, some time later... We find the giants there again. Many giants in the land, and one giant in particular, was a threat to the armies of Israel. We also face many, many giants. Many giants. Giants of the mind. What's going on inside us? And we saw that about the grasshoppers. They said, listen, we were like grasshoppers in front of them, and so we seemed to them. And I, I've had to learn gradually over the years to be very forceful with myself 
that my self-image, my view of myself, must not be determined by what others think of me, but by what God thinks of me. And that may be a giant for some people today. There's another giant also of the inner life, giants of the mind, giants of the heart. And these are particularly difficult because, you see, your inner world is huge. We're exploring outer space, we're sending probes to land on comets and all that kind of stuff. And and it seems that the more and more we reach outwards to discover the universe out there, that we also discover another kind of universe in here. The depths of the human heart, unfathomable in many, many ways. Your inner world is huge. So when you begin to attach your heart to stuff, that is like, you know, not godly. Or stuff that very often is a substitute for God. When our affections are attached to the wrong stuff, we feed that stuff, it grows and grows and grows into a giant, and soon it begins to threaten us from the inside, to intimidate us, subjugate us. But there are also giants externally. Maybe today your giant is your circumstances adverse circumstances. Seems like mountains surrounding you. Seems like an Everest that is yet to be conquered. Giants of your circumstances. Is that what is troubling you tonight? Also, we have a very outward view in our our church. We, We talk about the giants of society. And what we really mean by that is that there are key areas and domains of society which kind of set the pace for the rest of us. And and most of us have some kind of influence. We're either employed or we're working or aspiring to work in these areas, law, science, education, media, arts, and so on. And uh, we, we, we say, listen, God has placed you right there in the midst of that giant to make a difference. Now, there may not be one David that's gonna kill them all, but together we can influence for God. And we, 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 the summer, this autumn program is very heavily in, in, that, in that direction. Amanda, yesterday, uh, together with other ladies and women from the Women's Net, called together top fashion designers. Do you know what? I, I couldn't make it. I had too much else to do, traveling and coming back from national leadership team meetings and things like that. And, uh, but I saw some photographs, and there is a lady designer in this church. She is absolutely amazing. I'm going to find out where she works. I'm going to go there and get some stuff for myself. Absolutely amazing. And then we had stuff donated or at least loaned, top, top designers, and somebody, jewelry design and everything. And, and most of these were people outside of Kensington Temple and maybe outside of the Christian faith altogether. That's exactly what we want. And, and the, the influence, the, the, the sheer enjoyment of enjoying life and the creative stuff that God has given us, that's a giant. Uh, and in a way, it's putting this in a kind of, kind of not, not such a very uh, clever way, but, but giant of media and arts. You know, how much does the media and the arts affect us on a daily basis? How much does it affect us? How much does it put out there views of life and living which... Uh, not necessarily in line with God, we need to be right there doing it, tackling these giants, the giant of education. Just keep following in revival times because there'll be a, uh, a giant that we're going to tackle that is exactly your area, your vision, your, your burden. 
one of the things I'm going to be launching is that in each area of the giant, we'll have them all fully functioning by 2020, all of them fully functioning. And each one of those areas, we're going to seek God for one thing, one sphere of influence, something that we can do to make a difference in that area. Some one thing together, and not just us, but join together with other churches. Most of these areas have organizations and ministries dedicated to spreading the gospel, ministering to people, and we will join together. So giants in our society. Now, something you need to know about giants, just two things in particular. Giants are threatening and intimidating. I just see, sorry, three things, all right. Threatening and intimidating. Did you see, all this was about mind games. So along comes this guy, he's got arms like legs, legs like tree trunks, big barrel chest, biceps bigger than Arnie Schwarzenegger, even after steroids. And everybody's intimidated. And of course, you know, you mix him amongst the rest, maybe 10 people could jump on him, but he knows what to do, he's the champion. And this isn't just an invented story, this actually happened, this kind of stuff. So a champion would fight a champion, and whoever wins, no more bloodshed, but everybody has lost who's on the side of the losing champion. And you can imagine it, there wasn't anybody who felt skilled enough, strong enough, and courageous enough to do that. And that's exactly how giants operate. I'm gonna dominate you. You will not be able to overcome me and you are gonna to have to serve me and other people like me. That's exactly what happens. And, and make no mistake about it, that stuff is real and we gotta learn how to conquer and tackle those giants whether they are within or without. But there's some good things in the scripture for this. 1 John 4, 18 to 19. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Love is stronger than aggression. Love is stronger than violence. And the love of God is the strongest love of all. There is no situation that cannot be responded to, influenced by, and finally, finally overcome. Nothing but love can do it. Wonderful, really wonderful. Now there's a lot of intimidation going on today. Earlier to, uh, in the world today, I've been talking earlier today about some street preachers who were arrested and they were charged or at least arrested under certain legal provisions. One was the Antisocial Behavior Act. One, uh, another preacher convicted of racially aggravated public order. And uh, police are saying, you've got freedom of speech, but if you say anything or do anything likely to cause harassment, alarm or distress, or a cause for breach of peace, then we'll investigate to take appropriate action. Now, the cases, I'm pretty well in sympathy with the police actually, the cases I studied. However, there's a voice of intimidation there. Have you noticed how the law goes using words likely to cause harassment? You don't have to cause harassment, but if it's likely, and 
what is likely if somebody complains that's it and so if people are going around you're going to hell unless you do this and and they start preaching negatively and badly well they need wisdom okay but there is a chilling effect on the rest of us I want to ask you a question do you actually open your mouth for Jesus in your place of work or you say well wait a bit what if somebody takes offense I could lose my job yes you could what we're going to be doing is going through all the legal language here to show you what your rights are to speak about Jesus and that's the human side of encouraging you to move out in your profession where you are so you won't be intimidated and silenced by the enemy can I have an amen in the house of God all right but at the same time we're not just talking about using human wisdom and ingenuity that's good but we need God and the Bible gives us a wonderful reference here to what God is like in this instance Hebrews 11 Hebrews 13 5 to 6 he has said I'll never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me so the first thing you've got to overcome is fear all the army were dismayed and greatly afraid and then some guy comes along and he doesn't know how to be afraid and he's able to win the day so we overcome fear do not let threats and intimidation the spirit of of attack intimidation and condemnation don't let it touch your spirit you are born for a freedom in the spirit and a holy boldness not brashness not arrogance but a quiet humble boldness and confidence amen and amen okay giants are threatening and intimidating also they're full of oaths and cursing later on we see when when David comes out to confront Goliath he lets loose with a whole load that's Goliath not David a whole load of mouthful of the most horrendous oaths and curses and um, and, and I, I want you to know that you have nothing to fear from any curse a curse without a cause cannot touch you can't touch you can't touch you so now I, I know because I've been around in Africa born in Africa and I know that a lot of this stuff goes on and I know juju Gigi all the rest of it I know it works it works but not on us not on us okay not on us now there's a story which I'd love to talk about a bit, little bit longer numbers 23 verse 8 is just one verse it's the story of Balaam and Balak and uh, Balak wanted to destroy Israel very very frightened of the way that they seem to be growing and becoming strong so he hired a so-called prophet somebody with spiritual power I don't know whether he was a juju doctor or something like that but he he he, he came along to do it and he was going to do it for money do it for money and so uh, Balak the king set him up on a mountain and said no and there says Israel cursed them and as he opened his mouth cursing couldn't come out just blessing 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 and Balak was a crazy I paid you for this you're earning a fee now stand over here and do it nothing happened couldn't do it and finally Balaam turns to Balak and says numbers 23 8 how can I curse whom God has not cursed how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced 
The devil cannot curse those whom God has blessed. Amen and amen. Also, and here's the thing we're going to spend some time with. Giants appear to be undefeatable. Can you see how that's set up in the story? You look at this, nobody knows what to do. Because this guy's undefeatable. I mean, he is bigger and stronger, and, and he's so full of armor, and he's intimidating. Nobody can beat him. He's undefeatable. But we walk in with the same spirit of faith that David had, Genesis 18, 14. Here we go. This is a verse you take home with you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That was the birth of Isaac. Sarah was, now this is difficult. Sarah was 90, Abraham was 100, they were past the point of no return, and they're going to have a baby. And Sarah laughs. <laughs> you think it's going to happen? And the word of the Lord is, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, underline that in your mind, appointed time. Timing is everything. At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. There's an old hymn. Now, um, we're writing lots of new songs, and I love them, but we, we need to know how to revive some of the old ones, resurrect some of the old ones, because there's life in them bones yet. And here's an old, old hymn. The trouble is sometimes it's difficult to adapt to, to, to modern music forms, but here it is. Some words amazing. Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees, looks to God and laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. I can improve on that just a little bit because when you talk about mighty faith, you know, immediately you say, well, that's not me. That's not me. I'll leave that to the mighty men and women of God. The mighty men of faith, the mighty women of faith. No, 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 no. Now, I know that there is a sense that you can have weak faith and strong faith. But, you know, when you say mighty faith, you say it's the faith that's doing it. No, it's not the faith that's doing it. It's the God in whom we have faith. So small faith in a big God is enough faith to slay your giant. And the other thing, we're going to spend a bit more time on this later as well. God, this is one of the major reasons why I'm preaching on this tonight, because I want you, to, want you to get this. God had given David a precision instrument that was exactly designed to defeat the giant. So, I don't know, from Sunday school, it's like, look at that, he's a little boy with a sling, and he's got some stones. What is that against a spear and a javelin and all the rest of it? And we know that David came in the name of the Lord. But you know, there's something in that weapon. In fact, a shepherd's sling in the hand of an expert was like a high-velocity sniper's rifle of the day. Do you get it? So it was a miracle. Of course it was. But there was something practical that God had given David. Now tonight, I dare to believe and say to you that for every giant that is in your life, God has already given you a weapon Amen. that is precisely designed 
to strike that giant at its point of weakness and you can see victory. Uh, there's something else that they made a very big mistake. Now for this I, I need a visual aid and help. So where's my stage manager? Can I have my visual aid please? All right, here is a visual aid I have prepared earlier. Now, I need two volunteers for this. And I think I grabbed a couple of guys. Ready? Are you coming up here? Okay, give a big round of applause to our two volunteers. Okay, so um, now here we have a piece of cardboard, two pieces of cardboard, and here's the exercise. If you'd like to come, who's going first? Who's going first? You're going first. Okay. So now, this is the instruction. I saw this in a management uh, training seminar. Has anybody seen it? So keep quiet. Don't, don't give the game away. All right. So, here we have two pieces of cardboard. Okay, and don't worry, it's not an illusion. It's right here. So, the challenge, the task is this. I, I want you to take this and use this to get from here to there without your feet touching the ground. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Moment or two. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Take this, go from here to there, without your feet touching the carpet, okay. He's doing it. Okay. He's doing it. All right, okay, give him a round of applause, okay? All right, thank you very much. Congratulations. Now, you stand over there and uh, let's see what the, what the next fellow is. Okay, same instructions to Mr. Ask Me Stewarding Team Man. Okay, take this and go from here to there without your feet touching the ground. Oh. 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 Thank you very much. Give them a round of applause. Take your seat. It couldn't have gone better even if we planned it beforehand. All right. So what this is supposed to illustrate is the tendency we have to solve a problem in the form it's presented to us. So the problem was presented in a certain form, two bits of cardboard tied together, and the first guy tried to solve the problem in the form that it was presented to him. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. The problem was presented in a form of a giant, big muscles, big experience at war, armed to the teeth. So they said, okay, we're going to have to fight fire with fire. But the problem is we have no fire. What are we going to do? There on came a boy who said, I'm not going to solve this problem in the form that's presented to me. I'm going to use something else. That's very, very important. You can just do your own homework on that in terms of management and, and what have you. But many, many problems that we have to solve present to us in a certain way and we try to deal with it in that form. And I believe, with all honesty, 
that the church of Jesus Christ of our day is falling into that trap. Let me give you some examples. So we say, can I just use, extra, um, you know, what shall I say, exaggerated language and put it in very, very big terms. We might say, well, the devil has all the money and all these big corporations and big business and we don't get a look in anywhere. So what we need, they have billions. We need mega billions. Unless we have mega billions, we're not going to make an impact in our world. No, 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 no. Don't solve the problem in the form it is handed to you. We need God. We need God. Money as well, but we need God. Okay? So... Others say, well, okay, what we have, you see, the, the world holds the power, okay? Uh, and they have all the power, they have all the influence, so what we need is to take over the world, take over number 10, that's not a bad idea, but anyway, take over number 10, take over number 11, fill it with tongue-talking Christians, and everything's going to be fine. No, 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 no. We want the people who are equipped by God, whether the believers or not, in that position. It's not about having to take over in order to influence. We need God. Amen. Doesn't mean to say we should not be in the positions where God has placed us of the highest influence possible. But you know, God uses the small things. God did not raise up a champion that could equal Goliath in height digital and muscular dexterity and, and military experience. Boyd never fought anything in his life, never fought any battle, been tested and proved by God in the, in the private place, in the, in the, alone with God, but, but it was not an obvious answer. And I believe we can take heart from that. If the giants look too big for us and we are nothing but in some kind of minority and we, we don't know how to go forward and we can't do what they do. We can't do what they do. I mean, you know, if we had millions and millions and millions, we could hire the Royal Albert Hall every Sunday. We could hire the best singers and musicians from all over the world. And we could put on a show that maybe will look like the BBC on television. Who knows? But that's not where it's all at. It's all what we need is, is the power of God. Now, I'm not contradicting myself when I say we need to be in those kind of places as well. But we don't put our trust in these things. David said later on, you come to me with the spear and the javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. So I can encourage, you may feel nothing insignificant, that there is no strength in you, no ability in you, no wisdom in you to deal with the situation. But when God gets hold of your life, you will start to solve the problem spiritually, not in the form it was given to you physically or in any other way or technique of the world. For the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not worldly or carnal, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of many strongholds. Give him a big praise in the script. So how do we come now to overcome our giants? I'm keeping it short tonight, simple. Pray that God will be touching you and speaking to you. And that we want plenty of time to pray for you tonight as well. So we'll move on to that. Overcoming your giants. How do you do it? First of all, I'd like to suggest to you that what's vitally important is decisive action. Decisive action. You have to tackle your giants. Now, you know, if I had my time over again, maybe I would diversify 
a little earlier, and I was a little, I was in, um, brought up in Australia, born in Africa, brought up in Australia, and we played, did you hear Australia? Did you hear the Australian accent come out? Did you? No, there. Is anybody? Beauty Bondi, anything happened down there? No, okay. Never mind. Did that sound Australian? Oh, well, never mind. All right, anyway, so just at the time when I was learning ballet, all my friends were out playing footy. And can I come play footy, Sava? Yeah, okay, what's that? We're going to play football today. And so in the school sports, we had to play football. Now, the problem with Australian rules football is they don't know whether it is soccer or rugby. They don't know. It's a mixture of the two. Of the two. You can pick up the ball and you can bounce the ball and, and all kinds of stuff. And um, there I was thinking about how I could develop my extension, increase my elevation, and work on my turnout. And I'm supposed to now be playing football. And so they would come tackling me. And my philosophy of football is, don't try it at home, folks. My philosophy was, if you want the ball that much, you can have it. <laughs> okay. Don't be like that with the spiritual forces and the issues that attack you. And, and you've got to tackle them. But do it in the name of the Lord. You've got to tackle them. Now, um, they didn't do that in the early days. And now one giant comes up to bite them. God had given them authority and power to drive out all of these enemies, Philistines and all the rest of them, but they didn't tackle everything. They compromised, okay? And now it's coming back to bite them. Now, I don't want to get too deep and sociological here, but let me tell you, I believe the Church of Jesus Christ is guilty of that. There's stuff that we have not tackled. In times gone by, we thought, well, it's going to be peace and security in our day. Doesn't really matter. And now, because we did not engage, because we didn't take this on, because we weren't ready to respond to God, it's come back to bite us. It's come back in giant form. Who knows that we might be a David generation to push back some of this stuff. Decisive action. But it doesn't mean to say you rush right in. The good thing about the Israelite army, in the beginning at least, was they, they held the line. They held the line. And later on, when Goliath came, they, they broke the line, but for a while, they held the line. Even though it looked impossible, they say, we're standing here, we don't know what to do, so we are going to hold the line. Is that a word for somebody today? You are facing a situation so strong, so difficult, you don't know what you're going to do, you don't know how to move forward, you're, you're crying out to God, but you're not running away. Amen? You hold the line. You do what you know to do. One level, it's quite funny, and I've always preached this point rather, you know, against Israel up until now, but there is a positive side. Every day, they get up, get dressed, put their armor on, line up and parade, and march up and down. All marching, no battle, no action. But at least they held the line. Because, as I said, timing is everything. Now, meanwhile, David begins to come amongst them, a young shepherd boy who had been prepared by God for this moment. It might take time. You don't compromise. Decisive action must happen, but you need 
Preparation. Preparation. One of the things that I like about our Bible training program is that we keep on adapting and making it flexible so you guys can do it. Some of it's going to be online and we've got evening stuff and all kinds of stuff. And we have stuff at the level of cell leadership and congregational level. So there's something for everybody. But it's all about preparing you. David had used his sling before. Before Goliath. In fact, he was able to say, listen, I've had great success defending the sheep. And I know I can do this. I know God is with me, okay? He knew that, but he had, he had practiced. Now, you don't put a high-velocity rifle in a novice's hands. You take them out on the rifle range and you train them, you train them, you train them, you train them. They practice and practice and practice, and then they're able to use it. Now, God has given you something. It may not be fully developed. Your skill in this area may not be fully developed, but I... I'm really just drawing a conclusion from the text and applying it to you somewhat analogically tonight, but I believe it's correct that we have as much as we need already, maybe undeveloped, we may need more preparation, may need more time, may need to develop and grow in confidence, but God has given every single one of us exactly an instrument, a weapon in our hand which is precisely designed and given in advance by God for you to rise up and overcome in your life the stuff that God calls you to overcome. But the preparation was more than just skill. There was so much heart preparation. A little later on we know God took the kingship from Saul and his family and gave it to David and a Davidic dynasty was established. And the reason for this was God sought for a man after his own heart. And when David was anointed to be king, it was years ahead of the time he was actually going to come to the throne. But God had already identified that there were internal qualities, inner qualities about David's life, chiefly the attitude of his heart. You know, I, I really believe it's such an important principle. If your heart is truly right, there's no limit to how God can use you. But that is a tough call. David had to spend a lot of time. He was rejected by his family. Even now when he came, he was only coming to deliver sandwiches to the soldiers, to his brothers. They mocked him, said, what are you doing? Go back to your sheep. This is for real men. This is for people who know how to fight. Not long after that, the brothers had to acknowledge that there was in their own family someone who was skilled, schooled by God, and shaped on the inside. The Bible says, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. It's not even about your charismatic ability. Charismatic ability is the gift of God. Personality is a gift from God. But character is what you give God. Character. And so, you know, if it's gifting or character, I'll choose character all the time. Because we don't want people who will 
become, you know, pyrotechnical in their display, all spectacular, but over in a second. No, 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 no. This man was in for the long haul, and the preparation had begun a long, long time. So he was in preparation, but also he was positioned. Again, I'm sharing this, not so much as Bible exposition, but as a word to your own heart, because I know God is a positioner. I don't mean he treats you like pawns on a chessboard, but he's a positioner because he's a strategic planner. And God is positioning his people. And you need to be very, very sure that you are where God wants you to be. I'm not asking you to doubt that today, but you know, uh, and, and if you've had no, no further word from the Lord, then you are where he should be. He doesn't, doesn't need to guide you if you're in the right place. But you need to know that God is capable of taking you and positioning you and repositioning you. And sometimes things happen that looks like we are victims of external circumstances, economic circumstances, social circumstances, and the rest of it. But God is above all these things. David was positioned for success at this particular time. How? He'd already come to the attention of Saul, and Saul had brought him into his service. He was there at the right place, at the right time, because God had positioned him. The final thing about preparation was that David acted in line with God's purpose. God's purpose. The prophecy of Samuel over David was, he anointed him and said, the Lord has called you to shepherd his people. You're going to be king. And then the prophet disappeared, typical prophet, blow in, blow up, and blow out. And David was left with this sense of destiny, and the oil had not stopped dripping off his head by the time the prophet had got, was gone, and now he was over, over to God. And yet he knew that destiny was not just an external smudge of oil, too much brill cream, it was something that touched his heart. And so when David acted. He acted in line with God's purpose because he knew his destiny to be king. Praise God for that. Decisive action, but at the right time with the right preparation. In the meantime, hold the line. Okay, got it? Okay. Now, I want to draw a contrast between the defeat of Goliath all those years ago and the defeat of your giants. Let's change the image. Let's talk about chopping down a giant red tree. Well, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should let it grow. But okay, suppose there's some legitimate reason we're gonna pull down a red tree and we're gonna, a giant redwood, and we're gonna plant a thousand more and wait a hundred to three hundred years for them to grow, okay. I remember we're saving the planet here. But anyway, let me use this illustration. So what you're going to do, is it going to fall at the first hit? No. Second, no. You've got to keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. There may come a time when there's a creaking and there is a rocking and there you, then there is a fall and it says, timber! And the thing crashes. But that final dramatic conclusion, my friend didn't happen overnight. So, 
The last thing I want you to go away with today is this idea that you've got five stones in your pocket, chuck them all at your giant, and you go home, leaving the giant bleeding and dying. Instantaneous success. Now then, sometimes it happens that way, but for most of us, it's a process. And there will be defining moments, milestone victories, but it's a process. In all likelihood, it will not happen at once. This tonight is not a one-shot silver bullet message. Crisis moments, yes. Big changes, yes. Steps forward, yes. Maybe giant step forward. Remember Neil Armstrong? One small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. A defining moment. And we're asking you on Tuesday nights to say, okay, I'm going to take my next step. I need to take my next step. Okay, I haven't stopped walking. I've got to take my next step. What's your next step? So it's a next step and another step and another step. But if you're going in the right direction, walking with God, you're going to get to that victorious conclusion. Okay, and the final thing I want to say, there are principles to follow. This is how... You overcome your giants. First of all, as I said, you don't, you know, you take, decisive, you take decisive action. Secondly, nevertheless, there's a process to follow. And finally, there are some principles to follow. I believe God wants to strengthen your strengths. Now, I know there's a, a very strong case to be made that you defend against your weaknesses. But you know, let me just use this as an example. It may surprise you to know, as artistic and musical as I am, I don't sing very well. Now, many, many years ago, I was leading the worship here, and I learned how to mime and hope that everybody else was singing. Because <laughs> I heard, I was a little bit scared tonight that maybe when I was singing earlier, it came out to you guys watching, and oh, you're gone, you're not there anymore? I was singing, okay. All right. And, um, there was a, a, a bel canto opera singer, wonderful woman. And she said, oh, I'm going to teach you how to sing. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. I really can't sing. Oh, no, no, no. It's not that you can't sing. And I said, oh, tell me. She said, uh, oh, put it this way. Some people have tuneful voices and others. Uh, well, I'll see you there at 4 o'clock on Tuesday. So I go into her little conservatory there where she's playing the piano and she's all there very dramatic and you know and she's and, and so she says I'd like you to sing so I said yeah okay she says oh come on come on I said which one of those notes so she looked at me raised the eyebrow and went boing I tried to sing she stood up slammed the piano shut and said to me with all love and charity that there exists in the world, you cannot sing. <laughs> you will never be able to sing. So I'm going to show you how to lead worship without singing. It's wonderful. Okay. Now then, uh, you know, if I said I'm going to spend the rest of my life focusing on the weakness of not being able to hold a tune, I'm not going to preach again, I'm not going to study again, I'm not going to serve God in any other way but trying to learn how to sing. Do you think that's wise? No. That's not God's intention. If he wanted me to sing, he'd give me a voice. 
And maybe it was possible, but that's just not my call. So I intend to spend the rest of my life building on my strengths, doing what I can do, doing what God has called me to do, and try and do it better and better by his help and by his grace. So when you tackle your giant, do not try to cover your weaknesses by building on them. Now, one of the evangelists who came here many years ago was, uh, for some reason, uh, witnessing the Chinese uh, table tennis. Is it ping pong? Is that what it's called? Are they allowed to call it that? Is it the table tennis. The Olympic table tennis team of China. And I forget now who won table tennis this, this last time. I know some people, other people did very well, but the Chinese, they're very good at it. Very, very good at it. And so we spoke to the coach or the head coach or the head assistant to the head coach. He said, I suppose you spend all your time working on their weaknesses. He said, no, not weaknesses, strengths, strengths. So the story goes that the coaching in China to get champions in the area of table tennis, they don't work on their weaknesses they take their strengths and make their strengths so strong that their weaknesses do not matter. Now, don't uh, apply that to the moral realm. I'm not talking about moral weaknesses. I'm talking about sticking with what God has given you and focusing on the gifts he's given you, the provision you have, and use what you have. David knew that. David said, I'm going to go and fight this one. And, and so Saul said, I'll help you. Here's my armor. Now, Saul was a pretty tall man, obviously not as big as Goliath. And David was a young strapping lad. And uh, he couldn't move around in Saul's armor. And he was very, very diplomatic. He said, oh, great and mighty king, I cannot use this because I have not tested it. Instead of saying, don't be so ridiculous, it doesn't even fit. I can't move it. He said, I've not tested it. So David stuck with what God had given him, what God had shown him. Now, every single one of you, without exception, God has given you something unique that you only, ha only you have, have it. You might say, well, I, I've got gifts other people have. No, no, no. But the gift is not just something, a lump sum deposited in your life. A gift takes on the characteristics of who you are, what you're made to be, your experiences, your knowledge of God, your background, it is utterly unique. There's only one you and only one gift that be expressed through you which is unique. That's why we need it. So stick to that. Stick to that. Know your strength and build that. Another principle to follow. Get your direction from God. Don't follow a set pattern. Now, one of the big difficulties we have when we read the Old Testament is the violent battles that were conducted in the name of God and many times under the instruction of God. That's a very big problem when we try to understand what God's saying to us. Now, this doesn't excuse all that bloodshed, but I believe that very often in the Old Testament, warfare is described in physical terms. Israel was a state and they went to war and there were holy wars and all the rest. Thank God for Jesus who changed all that and said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And he separated the state from personal faith and walking together. So now we, 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 we do not dictate to the rest of the nation a Christian lifestyle and say, this is what you must do. They need to meet Jesus, experience Jesus. You're, you're not a Christian because you're born in a so-called Christian home, family or nation. 
you're a Christian because you've met with God. Okay? However, the Old Testament battles give us principles for our warfare. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There will be no physical Goliath that God will tell you to kill. No. We don't fight people. But we fight spiritually. We fight against temptation. We fight against spiritual opposition. And we even wrestle with spiritual forces dressed in an armor, a spiritual armor. However, Old Testament battles do reveal some strategic principles for our New Testament battles. And here's one of them. You hardly see the same strategy employed twice. In fact, I can't think of one battle that was fought under the direction of God that was exactly like another battle. God is infinitely creative and he doesn't give us the same strategy over and over again. Something we need to learn in our churches today was that Einstein who said the greatest definition of being a fool is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. God will give us creative ideas, ways in which are his spiritual strategies for us today. So before you go into any form of battle or engage anything and God wants you to win or conquer, get your direction from God. We see this in the healing ministry of Jesus. We don't see him healing in exactly the same way. Sometimes he said, I'm going to come and raise her from the dead. Sometimes he said, I'm going to give my word. Sometimes he used spit and mud. Sometimes he did laid, laid hands on. He did all kinds of things. So God is not monotonous. And, and he, he does this so that we'll always be alert to him. And we won't rest in our own wisdom, in our own resources. So when you are seeking to overcome something, you need a word from God. You need God's spirit to breathe life into you. But there are a number of spiritually precise weapons that he's given to you. Now these, I'm not going to preach on these. They're, they're obvious and there are many sermons about them. Faith. Faith. David had faith. Faith. He saw the issue as it really was. This was a spiritually sourced and resourced battle. And therefore it's easy peasy. No problem because it's very simple. Who are you to defy the armies of the living God? You are swearing and cursing me in the name of your gods, but your gods are no gods. Our God is the true and the living God. And it's easy. You're coming to me with power, which is no power, and I'm coming to you with power, which is all power. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Faith. The Word of God. Jesus said, you don't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Paul said, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, used precisely, not talking about that two-handed broadsword, but that shorter, precise weapon of a dagger, a precise word spoken into your life, your situation, which will be precisely the word that will open up the situation for you. Seek God for that word, wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to apply God's word, God's timing. 
And of course, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. What's also vitally important is to guard your heart in all this process. Pride comes before a fall. So many people, God uses them, they get some victory. They get their face on the front page of a glossy magazine and they start believing their own publicity and they go on and on and on and it's game over. Meekness, which is not weakness, is closely allied to humility. And the humble of heart make room for God. The Holy Spirit is like water, always seeks the lowest place. A lowly maiden becomes the receptacle of the Messiah. An insignificant shepherd boy carries destiny that's enough to wipe out the whole of the army. He stays humble. Guard your heart and check your motivation. Some of these ideas came out when we were discussing in the NLT, the National Leadership Team, and uh, one of the NLT members is a right comedian. And he said, you know, no, 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 no. David didn't do this for any kind of spiritual motive. He heard, what was that reward again? Well, whoever defeats Goliath, the king has promised, you're going to be free in Israel. Now, wouldn't, you know what that means? No taxes. No taxes. Not for you or your family, the rest of your life. How many people would like that? <laughs> Lift up your hands, every eye closed, every head bowed. Ta no taxes. You're also going to marry the king's daughter. You're going to live in the palace. You're going to become a prince. He said, what was that again? No taxes become a prince. Who is this ridiculous Philistine? And there may be a sense in which David had some mixed motives. Maybe, I don't know. Mercenary, or maybe it's just the principle of reward, which we shy away from in our Western Christianity. We say, oh, no, no, no. I serve God for nothing. But at the end of the day, you, you can't do that. You can't outgive the biggest giver in the world. Whatever you give to God, he gives back to you, pressed down, shaken over and running over. Amen and amen. And anyway, the real motivation here was the glory of God but hardly ever, in all my experience, including my own heart, has that motive ever been so 100% pure. We try to get there. There's always other reasons. But whatever it is, whatever it is, guard your motivation as much as you can. And say, God, it may seem to me, I may be doing this all kinds of reasons, and you see through me like a pane of glass, but I, I want you to know, I want my heart to be pure. I want to do this not just in the right way, but for the right reasons. That's so difficult. So difficult. Especially when you're tr trying to be the mouthpiece of God, which is such an arrogant aspiration. If it were not God who says, I want to use you, I want to speak through you, you would never be able to do it. But the point is, is that you get mixed up with all kinds of stuff. Why am I doing this? Am I doing it to look good? Am I doing it to sound good? Am I doing it for your praise? Am I doing it for whatever reward I get? And Jesus says, when you do that, your reward is earthly. It makes not a bit of difference in the spiritual realm. But if only we could forget about our 
ourselves and say, God, it's all you. I yield to you. And when that happens, there is no limit to what God can do through a man or a woman who is fully yielded to him. Now, I, I know that's a mouthful. I mean, really, fully yielded to God, no limit and all the rest of it. It happens to be true, but at the same time, it happens to be way, 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 way. We need 10 giants taller than Goliath just to reach it. But that doesn't matter. That's the aspiration of our hearts. It shows that we are born for something better than this. That we have a destiny in the heavenlies. It's not just that we're earthly people. We are, put our feet on the earth. But the aspirations within us come from heaven. God has placed heaven in our hearts. And we know we're not what we should be. We know we're going to take time to get there. And we know it's going to take Jesus to come back and put us in that position. But at the same time, this is who we are. That's our natural tendency in the spirit. To reach out to the high things of God. We say, God, help me. And most of all, Help me in the purity of my heart. Have you learned something tonight?